This is All Saints Sunday, and every year on all, this is one of the favorite feasts of the English church, and I expect during the uh, English Reformation, uh, All Saints Sunday is an example of how the English church just didn't go whole hog with regard to the Continental Reformation, because uh, people wanted to think about the saints, maybe because they had a classic uh, way of understanding them that I'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But every All Saints Sunday, we ask these questions, or at least I do. What does it mean to be a saint? How do you get to be a saint? Why should you want to be a saint? Does the church make, why does the church make such a big deal about the saints? What saints are we commemorating on All Saints Day? And how can I understand the importance of sanctity in my life? Uh, Ernst Trelch, who was a theologian who lived in the... He was born, I think, in the uh, late 19th or early 20th century. He wrote a lot about uh, the church from a particular point of view. And somewhere in his writings, he said, um, the Anglican church is very good at sanctification. They're not very good on conversion. And I think he's probably right, you know. But then again, sanctification has to do with giving yourself over to the processes of God at work in you in ways that are not always specifically religious. And so when we talk about the other questions, that will be something we might bring up. Karl Rahner, the well-known, or at least amongst my circles, uh, Jesuit theologian of the 20th century, uh, said, saints are important because they transcend abstraction into lived reality. See, that's what I mean. The ordinary person isn't going to read that, and really, it's not bedtime reading, is it? In any age, it is possible to live as a saint and to know that through our lived experience watching other people. So you and I don't have to think about sanctity in terms of some hair-raising action of a French priest in 1674, right? Although that may be important then and may have some utility now. Let me give you an example of how some of that stuff in terms of Habits of Life, St. Francis de Sales. Have you ever heard of him? Okay. St. Francis de Sales was the Bishop of Geneva in 1604. And he wrote a book called The Introduction to the Devout Life. And he wrote this book uh, principally for noble women, noble French women who were pious And it was sort of a uh, spiritual direction to them about how to do various things in the practice of the Christian life. So one of the things he said to them in the course of teaching them about how to meditate and what to do is that on a daily basis, if you make a meditation, one of the things that you should do, at least in the method that I use, is make some resolution with regard to what you're going to do with your day. So he said to them, what you need to do 
at the conclusion of your meditation or even a piece of straight thinking about God is to make a resolution and then like going into your garden and gathering a nosegay, a little bouquet of flowers. So he's talking about all of the people in France who have time to wander through their garden. Right? So they're wandering through their garden and they're picking a bouquet, a nosegay. And when you're walking through the garden and you're thinking about your resolution, you hold that to your nose. And it is a spiritual nosegay because it reminds you of what it is that you had resolved to do with your day. So those are sort of external things in terms of the way we talk about sanctity. But G.K. Chesterton, back when I was a kid, I don't know whether I was 21 yet, my mother gave me a book. called. She gave me a lot of books. That's one of the reasons I'm in the hot water I'm in now. Too much reading. But the book was called A Certain World, a commonplace book by the poet W.H. Auden. I may have mentioned this before. And in the 17th and 18th century, uh, people of letters would often compile something they called a commonplace book, which was a collection of quotations that they had collected over time or reflections they have made themselves on particular subjects. And by reading this book, you could gain some insight into the person who compiled it, way of approaching the world and thinking about uh, all kinds of things. So uh, Auden's book was alphabetized, and uh, under C, it was Communion of Saints was one of the entries. And there was a quotation from G.K. Chesterton. The Communion of Saints means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. The communion of saints refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking around. So, you know, when, when you and I think about uh, the people we love and know who were close to us and the people who had an enormous influence on the way we have lived our lives in big and small ways, uh, it reminds us of this kind of continuity. So I'll revisit this, but one of the, the saints that we commemorate today are mainly those that you knew and loved who had a particular and signal influence on you in your life, not just what we would call the classical saints who are in the prayer book, right, that we commit commemorate throughout the year, but the people that you know who had a special influence, and when I say this, I don't mean to confine it to merely people who made us firmer in our Christian belief or more resolute about that, as, as important as it is, but the people who taught us about what it meant to be a decent human being. You know, how do you understand what that means as you live your life and the sanctity it produces? And sometimes we find sanctity in locations uh, that we didn't expect. Um, I've been at St. Luke's for a while now, and uh, for the last five or six years at least, we have lost a great many parishioners who have died and gone to God. 
And I got to thinking when I was writing this sermon about uh, the impact they had on my life, some bigger than others, but nonetheless all of them, and how we understand the lessons you learned uh, from them as they lived, both affirmative and negative, right? I've told you this. I get up in the morning and I make a list. Nowadays, I have all these electronic helps. (laughs) But I make a list. Things to do. And then I make another list that, that it says things not to do. Don't do this today. And some, somehow you learn that uh, uh, when I began my ministry in Tucson, Arizona, uh, the priest that I served under was, uh, had many, many, many sanctity, much sanctity and also irascibility. So as a young priest, I learned something about uh, things to do and things not to do wrapped up in one person. And I expect that most of us have those qualities as well. We're able to uh, hit some of the numbers, but not, not all of them. So thinking about what it is in that sense. One of the ways you can do that, of course, since we renewed our baptismal vows, and at 11 I'm going to baptize two people at that liturgy, we think about the promises we make at our baptism and how when we make those promises, most of us, uh, if we were baptized as infants or young children, we don't remember all of that. And uh, those of us who are old enough to have been baptized in the old liturgy uh, didn't have the baptismal covenant. So the focus was on mainly sin and redemption rather than the development of a pattern of life that you live uh, all the time or attempt to live all the time. And sort of this covenant that we have uh, with God and the Savior as we live our life as Christian people. We had the Beatitudes today as well. And um, this is a way in of reinforcing what I've been talking a lot about with uh, Tom Wright, Nicholas N.T. Wright. Uh, When it talks about the kingdom of heaven, uh, he would say that the kingdom of heaven is here. And if you read it in the original, it's like right next to you. That's the feeling. It's not somewhere else. It's right next to you. So we're all in the kingdom in some way. The Eastern Orthodox Church has a very interesting way that they describe hell. We have hell as you go somewhere where there's eternal damnation or uh, punishment that is directly felt for eternity. The Eastern Church says everybody in the kingdom is all mixed up together. So the damned and the saved are all walking around. We're all mingled together. What's the difference? The people who are in hell are completely separated from everybody else. They they don't interact. They don't talk. There's nothing. There's no connection at all, even though we're all together. And that's a painful circumstance to be in. Um, I I don't want to get into a debate about whether there is a hell or not a hell. We'll do that another time. But just to talk about what what that, how you might understand that in terms of uh, somewhere that you, you get sent. So N.T. Wright says, heaven is God's space where full reality exists. Close by are ordinary, earthly reality. 
and interlocking with it, one day heaven and earth will be joined together forever, and the true state of affairs uh, and the true state of affairs at present out of sight will be unveiled. So what, what he means, here, here's what he's talking about. That's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say we go somewhere. The Bible, Jesus says, we're, we're, the kingdom of God is near you here. And you're part of the processes that produce uh, the values of the kingdom. And so sanctity may have something to do with, you know, that whole way of understanding reality. In the Eastern Church, they talk about something uh, that we don't talk about very much, although Father Thomas Keating does. Uh, The Eastern Church talks about each person being involved in a process of deification, or since it's the Greek church, theosis. And when we talk about that, it means that as we live uh, and move in in a way of intention, we become less unlike God and more like our true self, which Father Keating says, we are not God, but our true self is God. And his discussion of how you do contemplation or centering prayer has to do with the fact that you realize that first you, you do in developmental psychology, I'm somebody who becomes me, I, as a child, Right? And then you perceive, if you're spiritually sensitive or even if you're not, that there's uh, another, right? So there's you and the other. And if you persist in this, you understand that it isn't you and the other. It's you and the other are one. We are not God, but our true self is God. So when we do these things, the Eastern Church would say we participate in God's holiness and eternity. And it's a way of thinking about the nature of reality. So I say this all the time. How would you know if you're making any progress towards the idea of sanctity? You know, this has been layered over for so many centuries of a kind of uh, heroic behavior or uh, acts of hair-raising piety. I was reading a history of Western spirituality uh, to prepare for this sermon, and they talked about uh, a, a Roman Catholic priest in France in the 17th century who was famous, who used to go into the church at night where the tabernacle was, and he'd open his shirt and he would spread the curtains on the tabernacle and press his chest against the tabernacle so Jesus could feel the beating of his heart of love for him. Now, that kind of piety is not for most of us, is it? It's a little hair-raising, you know? (laughs) So some people have an idea that that may be what you really have to aspire to, and the answer to that is no. If you're going to test yourself, and it's always, you, one must always be careful about seeking uh, the, the knowledge of whether you're making progress or not, right? Uh, but love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are the fruits of the Spirit that you and I all receive at our baptism. 
and so we have the capacity to express them. And so if you find yourself more ready to do that, uh, it may be that you've allowed the work of the Spirit to operate. All of us at our baptism receive three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, or the old language charity, which means the same thing. That's why we don't use charity very much anymore because it's uh, got a meaning now that's related to the lady bountiful aspect of doing good works in the world, but it means to love people, and that's what, what part of that is. And so this all means, all the things I've just read to you, what uh, Houston Smith told Bill Moyers. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and that is, how would you know you're making spiritual progress? And he said, all of the great faith traditions uh, say that one of the ways you can understand it is that you find in yourself a spontaneous readiness to be generous. And this means, of course... Uh, with uh, time, talent, and treasure, to use uh, another term about all that, that you are willing to do that and you find it easier to do that. Any other insights that you hear from people about spiritual progress, unless they manifest this, he said, is bogus. This is not a navel-gazing enterprise. You know, there's nothing wrong with uh, being clearer, Right? Learning how to think more clearly. Learning how to feel more deeply. Learning how to understand one another as human beings just like yourself. Those things are all important. But they have to do with the cultivation of some kind of a generous spirit about the fullness of humanity. So this week when you think about the sanctity and you think about wanting to be a saint, remember a couple of things. We're commemorating all of the saints that have come before us, all of the saints that we know now, all of the saints that have had a particular and special influence on us in a positive way, and gratitude for the saints to come so that all of the people that we see now and our children and our grandchildren and everybody else that we may see manifested in their character uh, some aspect of sanctity and give thanks to God for that. Amen. Amen.